0: Sego, Sewo Greetings, everyone. Welcome to our yohate Negosuna, The Road to Your Name podcast, focusing on Haudenosaunee cultural topics recorded on Haudenosaunee territory. Our podcasts are produced by Aboriginal Legal Services with the technical assistance of Humble Man Recording. My name is Lisa Van Ever from the Mohawk Nation and the Wolf Clan, I'm the coordinator of the Yohate Negasuna The Road to Your Name program and the host of this podcast. Welcome to the Yohate Negasuna The Road to Your Name podcast series. If you would like to learn more about our organization, Aboriginal Legal Services, and the programs and services we provide, please visit us at our website, www.aboriginallegal.ca. And if you feel inclined and would like to make a donation, you can click on the word donate located at the top of the homepage of our newly updated website. You can also visit us on Facebook at Aboriginal Legal Services, Toronto, Canada. This is the Yohate Negasuna, the Road to Your Name podcast series. Today's guest has joined us by telephone. So here we are talking via telephone with Gary Farmer. Say go, Gary.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: oh yo, yanale, yo, yanale. Um, what? Uh, let's. <laughs> oh, there's so much to talk about. You've had such a long and distinguished career. Um, can I ask you what prompted you to go into acting in the first place?
1: Uh, you know, I suppose like a lot of us, we grew up in tough households that had issues. Um, I was, I always felt that I was kind of taken away and put into a, another society. Um, mostly, you know, a lot of us went stateside, the families went stateside for work, uh, Buffalo Niagara Falls, Rochester, you name it, Syracuse, New York. And, uh, I ended up in Niagara Falls and Buffalo as a child. And, um, you know, I, I I look back now and I, I think, geez, I remember a, a, a photograph of um, of a young boy from Tuscarora holding a sign in 1956. He must have been three or four years old. And it says, don't take no more of my land. Don't take all my land. He's holding a sign. He's protesting. Of course, the uh, Niagara Project for electricity there the power project and my father built that thing as a crane operator along with all the other men and so you know here that's such a common story of uh, uh, displaced people like uh, you know in a way we we are displaced and and how some of us succeed from that. And some of us don't, you know, some of us lost our land and Tuscarora when they built that project back in the fifties or sixties, fifties. And so I was the same age as that boy. Only I, 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 my dad got the job and we managed to, you know, we must have one of those families that moved, you know, every year because, whatever negotiation was going on for Red was was changed. And my father, you know, we always had to move. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like a lot of Native families moved so many times. And I guess growing up, I became the adult because, you know, dad got better as he got older, but he wasn't there when I was young. And I became uh, awfully uh, responsible for day-to-day things like cooking and cleaning, uh, looking after my younger sister, both parents having to work to survive, and I I just thought there's something, you know, as a youngster, I guess I grew up fast. and And when I was instituted into, I always felt like nobody from the film Dead Man, where you know, he's clubbed over the head and taken to Britain, put in a cage, and exposed to English culture. And in some ways, I kind of felt like that uh, mm-hmm. growing up in Niagara Falls and Buffalo in the school system. And um, and so when we came home back in the '70s, so the family, um, I always thought like something's not right, you know. Um, I need to help somehow. And at first I thought like being a cop or a social worker or, you know, trying to understand the justice system was maybe the way to go. And I kind of launched in that direction, but quickly realized that it was so corrupted already that I would have to just execute the corruption or, or what else can I do? But, you know and so when I discovered the theater in 1975 I I was on a thing called Project Circle Theater along you know I had involved some of your early relatives as well there was a bunch of artists in our community at the time and and tried to get the theater going you know actually we were the first thing we tried to do was actually physically build a theater and and pressured the council to make changes and stuff and you know, so that the arts were more respected in our community, but it, it never really kind of turned over that way. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just embarked. Once I discovered the process of storytelling via the theater and the usage of theater is a method of, you know, going through our lives and expressing our fears and joys and loves. And, and that's why I became an actor. It wasn't because I, I certainly, was, I was a big man, right? I'm not a, which you would think is a leading man or nothing, but I just thought once I discovered that process, I never turned back.
0: Mm. Well, we're all grateful that you never turned back, Gary. <laughs> you, yeah. you've just been, you've, you've been creating ever since.
1: Yeah, I, I every day, practically, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Like it, I mean, even now, I, I just worked yesterday for Emma Stone and her husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're doing series, and um, it's not easy for me anymore being out there for 14 hours. Uh, I, I really don't appreciate it that much. <laughs> um, yeah. It seems everyone still thinks I'm
0: 40 or something,
1: <laughs> you know? And,
0: and the movie process is so long, isn't it?
1: It can be. Uh, it can be. It, it, it doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. But it, it can be. It depends on the strength of the... Some Sometimes people are so creatively, uh, artistically uh, uh, available. Uh, but the bureaucracy of making a film doesn't often, you know, because there's so many upstart series now, like there's series this, series that there's, yeah. there's just, there's yeah. probably 800 new series this year.
0: Yeah. And
1: so, um, and some people are, the, everyone's looking for the new way to tell a story. Yeah. And um, sometimes you don't always have the most experienced crew, to execute, which your vision is, mm-hmm. uh, because of budget, because of all these other restrictions, or who's available to help with this project at this time. Uh, yes, it's extremely challenging. It takes, you know, it doesn't have to take 70 people, but <laughs>
2: that's
1: generally what the movement is, you know. Yeah. There must be an easier way and uh, I
0: think of, I, I think a, of... Um... A I think of how things are done on the res, and you can do it with an iPhone and a couple people.
1: <laughs> right, right, you could, and you know, and depending on the strength of your concept in the beginning, you know, you really got to, you know, it's really a writing thing to start, and then, yeah. then you start involving everybody else. mm mm-hmm. But it's awfully hard to execute that vision you had originally if you don't have the right situation or the budget or the time or etc. You know, it's uh, it's a challenging field. But I I just love it to death. And I I stepped away. I knew back in the 80s that oh my God, I didn't want the responsibility of having to direct. To, I I just loved the process of acting. I. Mm-hmm. I could have directed more. I could have, you know, made films back in the day. And I think I remember this film coming out. It was Canada's most successful film for a long time. It was called Black Robe,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the whole perspective was about how you know we beat down the Christians. You know, like. Mm-hmm that whole story has been mistold so often and, you know, they don't really understand why we went and challenged the Huron. That, that whole storytelling of that period of our history has been distorted for so long that we were trying to suppress,
2: you know, whatever, Mm -hmm.
1: Christians, but they, they were a bit manipulative. And, and I think we saw that from the start where, especially when they introduced alcohol to the continent. And I I think that was the issue more so than, you know, Mm. that the effect that alcohol had on the Huron, because they're at the mouth of the St. Lawrence River, right? They were the first ones to receive that impact. And and so I felt like that story's never really been told. Uh, uh, And that film stayed top of the Canadian box office for years.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I... Now I gotta direct right <laughs> <laughs> now, now I have to take more control, but thankfully, you know, we have so many young talented filmmakers now that have really taken that step, so I'm so grateful for all those especially the women that uh, really uh, really turned things around, uh, especially the culture that we see uh, around uh, our res and such. so,
0: oh, yeah, uh, I'm really.
1: That they've all stepped up and, and done the work I, I probably should have done 30 years ago, but just didn't mm-hmm. just didn't have it in me to do that. I did, I just didn't have what it takes to. And I tried. You know, obviously with the magazine and and the radio, trying to build a national radio system in Canada, I spent a lot of my time and money and energy trying to do that but i couldn't finesse the politics of the country or the politics of the national indian associations to support it enough to get it happening but the success i did have was uh, so I, i put my energy in other regions rather than necessarily directing film i thought my first effort was to go back and bring everything back that they took from us. You know, all the stories, all the songs, because I worked in the early days of television when they would take our stories and make TV out of it and not give us any credit or the dollars that a screenwriter should or a storyteller should make. Yeah. So that became my effort as a young actor. Okay, let's take all this back. Let's make it ours. Let's promote it our way and put it in color and make it pretty. <laughs> And I was always criticized for that from the Canadian establishment, you know, like, Mm -hmm. why aren't you doing it in black and white? Why are you going in color? And I said, because I'm trying to build pride, you know, I'm trying Mm to build. So so I always had to talk my way in to make things happen in Canada. It it was awfully challenging time for me to try and do both. Survive as the artist and at the same time, try to propagate a, a media system that could, tell our version of you know i think we have a different perspective as indigenous people that i think is very valid not only for canada but throughout the world you know mm-hmm. just as things things
0: oh we definitely I, I
1: really give voice to that and the success of aptn at some levels you know i'm I, i'm the one that went to the crtc and won that license and And all that experience I had with the CRTC from winning radio licensing became, you know, that was fascinating to me. But I wish I would have been able to execute Mm -hmm. Aboriginal Voices Radio. It was one of my great failures in my life. Oh,
0: well, we can't can't do everything, right? You know, there's so much to do, you know, and being... I just
1: wasn't a good... I wasn't a a very... and very noble politician to to (laughs) execute that. You have to walk a fine line to pull all of that together. Yeah.
0: And um, and it's very difficult being the first Native anywhere, right? Doing anything. Yeah, everyone
1: thought I was on this legal trip or something, but I was just trying to uh, create a communication center so that we could share. Because I see us, you know, CBC won't deal with our diabetes issues You know, but Mm C K R Z will. You know. Um we you know, we needed our own that's that's after especially after the RCAP report when it told us everything that's wrong with us. Okay, let us fix it. That Mm -hmm. was my answer. Okay, empower this radio and we'll take care of our own business, you know. Mm -hmm. We'll take care Mm -hmm. of our own health. We'll we'll learn how to succeed financially so that we can sustain our communities. Mm-hmm. But it was just a little ahead of its time, yeah. I think.
0: Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about your approach to acting and your philosophy, really, and, and has it changed over the years?
1: Uh, well... Yeah, I, I I don't know if I really have an approach anymore. I think I take things on individually. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of learned uh, by doing. I mean, one of the most things I think I got from acting was the ability to create stories, like from nothing. Like take a group of eight kids, put them in a room, or eight uh, actors, put them in a room with one screenwriter, but and this is how we developed some of Thompson Highway's early work. You know, it was all through improvisation and, and creating a a structure and and creating a place for us to explore character and and crash them in together to tell a story. And uh, and so I learned even from the, you know, from James Rainey, who was probably the first person to bring native people into the system. Because he was working a lot with canadian history and canadian stories and he found after a while that he couldn't tell these stories without indigenous people so that's when both i mean i think graham was involved prior to that moment in the 75 77 but because uh, graham had that look that attracted and he was already in the rock and roll world so he was exposed to the canadian establishment a little earlier as a sound technician for rock you know kind of well-known canadian rock bands and that's how he got into the cbc a little earlier than i did and, and succeeded but we both ended up on stage at the same time in 77 with uh, i think it was 76 actually with uh, University of Western Ontario. And uh, so I picked up a lot of technique from the ne'er-do-well thespians, they called themselves, NDWT. And, and right away, uh, the artistic director from that group, uh, Keith Turnbull, said, okay, let's go north. And he took us to Sioux Lookout, and we developed the original stories out of there with all, uh, you know, when I first came back from Buffalo when I was, third year university, uh, and uh, Syracuse. I, I came back and went to Toronto and that's the first time I saw gibberish and crees and Mi'kmaqs, and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, down Buffalo, it's all our own people. We don't have this mix when I got into Canada and to be frustrated into the North in the seventies. Um, I, I was just, it was profound, and to go up and, uh, you know, none of it in, in the 70s, back mm-hmm. when nobody spoke English, and mm-hmm. it, there was a lot of kids running around trying to find homes, you know, I remember this one kid latched on to me, and wanted to come with me, you know, and like, you know, so the whole idea of being a father and all that, I just couldn't take that responsibility at the time, but I'll never forget the love that kid had for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about the process of acting. So m- my acting has been really based on my re- reflections in the world today. I I learned the process from study with uh, actors in Toronto at a point I took a year and really studied. And some of the things that stuck, I still use when I do teach acting, um, mostly from some of the... Um, you know, substantial talent we had back in the day, like R.H. Thompson and Dixie Cedar and Patricia Hamilton, and R.H. Thompson. And, you know, there's a host of Canadians who, actors who reached out their hand to help us, you know, and some of us came to our own style, like Graham's, you know, how he approaches acting is way different than how I do. So that everyone has their own methods Mm -hmm. But I did take some training, so that that did help a lot with how, you know, we've both sustained. You know, I I just had a visit with Graham, who, you know, we're actually cousins, because his his dad and my grandma, farmer were first cousins. Mm -hmm. So Graham and I lived across as kids. You know, they had like 10 kids in their family. I only had me.
2: For eight years,
1: so I used to get all the gifts at Christmas. So, <laughs> grandma used to pile over across the road, and my grandma's in the village there and going and play with all my new toys. <laughs> we never got any, but uh, it's been interesting that, that our careers kind of uh, you know, we worked together for years, we lived together as young actors, and uh, mm-hmm. and now we hardly see each other and stuff, but we're still going at it both of us you know?
0: yeah yeah well you got to make time for those those old cousins gary
1: <laughs> i just went out and visited it with him in stratford and uh, he's busy as ever he doesn't do his uh, you know like me we don't get uh large characters to play we get modest roles that uh, allow us still to participate in the storytelling process but we're not playing the leads much anymore so that's that's kind of fascinating but we both need to work to sustain you know we don't yeah Yeah. the civil will probably work till we die both of us i wouldn't suspect yeah i I suspect we will
0: well you've worked with some of the notables like marlon brando and johnny depp Uh, is there anyone in the acting world today that um you'd like to work with
1: Well, these days I've been working with a lot of lead women. Um, I got a series coming out with, uh, I'm not very good at names, but I just, like I said, worked with Emma Stone yesterday, but I just finished the film uh, series last, went to Spain for like a month. Mm -hmm. Lived in Madrid and uh, toured around the country some, I had some time off and, and uh, that's with a uh, famous actress. Uh, I can't think of her name right now. But, it, you know, when I, I never forget when I worked with Meryl Streep. You know, she was precious. You oh, know, I remember Streep. my uh, Aunt Wilma and Cousin Sharon always did this Volunteer of the Year on the res. Uh, and I always used to try to find something for them. And I remember I was working with... Uh, um, uh, the actress said this Meryl Street at the mm-hmm. time and I just said, Merrill, you know, we've got this volunteer thing going and I just wondered if you could send some autographed pictures. And she goes, Sure, sure. And I swear they came within a week, you know. Mm-hmm. She had sent them so fast. She sent three autographed pictures of herself and and I I, I mean, I don't even do that, you know, like <laughs> she's so cool, you know. Like if somebody asks me for an autograph, it takes me months to get it to them, you know, like I just, but here she sent it within the week, and I gave it to them. I never knew what happened if they raised any money from them, but I just thought that was a sweetheart move by her. And 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 a lot of them are, uh, I like that, you know, mm-hmm. for the most part. I mean, Johnny and I became really close, and he tried to, uh you know, he tried to get me to do uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that title, but it's a book by Hunter S. Thompson. Oh, yeah, yeah crazy journalist (laughs) and uh we were in berlin after winning the and still we're the only american film ever with dead man to win the european academy award for best foreign film which i'm really proud of Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, um,
1: we certainly don't get that recognition stateside although we are i just saw michael got elected to the academy award uh people now michael gray eyes and Mm -hmm. uh with other great actress friend, Rena Owen, who's a New Zealand Maori, just got put on that, you know, Academy Awards. So all that's changing now, which is fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. And so it's nice to see the younger generation is, uh, you know, below me, just basically. I gave Michael his first job for a CBC half hour back in the the early 80s. So to see him now be at the Academy Award committee is, is That's that's just wonderful, you know. I just love all the new respect they seem to have for Native story these days, and mm-hmm. all the series they've up. It's uh, it's been really vital. But what? that time that Johnny wanted me to play Doctor Gonzo opposite him, playing Hunter, basically. Oh
0: yeah, that uh, would have been great.
1: Brought me to the University of uh, Lexington in uh, Kentucky. I had to drive from Toronto down there and I met Hunter Thompson, you know, prior to his death, just a couple of years prior to his death. And that that's a story that I got to put in the book because uh, that was a fascinating period for me to meet that that kind of famous author. He's, he was really unsettled man. But mm-hmm. uh, it just the opportunities that were presented to me that could have happened. In the end, I hired... Uh, Benicio Del Toro, who's <laughs> a really, well, yeah, I ended up working with him a few years ago, and he turned out to be a wonderful guy, and we mm-hmm. talked about that process, right? uh, or the guy who, you know, I, I just met the director, I worked with him as an actor that was supposed to direct that film, but he got fired, uh, he did Sid Nancy, I don't know if you ever saw Oh that yeah, film I saw Sid Nancy, video. yeah. Yeah, he's a great actor, that director. I can't think of names again, but uh, it was fun to work with him as an actor. But yeah, the career has been wonderful to meet all these. Uh, you know, the time with Marlon was special. I, I kind of said the wrong thing to him the first time I met him.
0: Who was that?
1: I, well, I didn't know. You know, I, I, you know with the journalism... Uh, you know, because I felt like a journalist. You know, yeah. I felt like a, I I had a journalistic nature. I still do, mm-hmm. and from time to time I do write. But uh, um, we were. Uh, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought.
0: You were talking with Marlon Brando when you first met him.
1: Oh yeah, Marlon. So I at his door. It said, uh, "Please do not knock." just come in
2: uh-huh.
1: and, and Robert De Niro's number one Ed Norton's number two you know you get numbers on a set yeah. so the stars are way up there and uh number three was Marlon Brando number four was Angela Bassett number five was Gary Farmer
2: uh-huh.
1: so Marlon didn't show up for a couple of weeks in the shoot and uh he came a little later when it got to his part and so I thought, well, geez, I'm number five. Marlon says, come on in. So I walked in, you know. And that whole story of Anna Mae Aquash, of course, uh, she was a political activist out of Nova Scotia, made her way into Massachusetts, much around the same neighborhood as where Buffy kind of got going. And, um, you know, became an activist and was eventually murdered Um Mm -hmm. And she kind of disappeared on this public relations tour back when Marlon, Dennis Banks, and Russell Means were all traveling and doing this public relations tour trying to find support for the American Indian movement. Mm -hmm. And I'm not Mm -hmm. sure if Marlon has already accepted the award or not. Um, I'm not, I'm not clear on that history. But, you know, she was the agent ahead of them going into the town before them to do the public relations and stir up the news to cover their efforts. And then she disappeared and was mm-hmm. eventually found in a shallow grave and murdered and such. And and so that always fascinated me, like, what happened to her? like. But after, you know, the whole American Indian movement, and I got involved with it only through... You know my work in Powell Highway when I met John Trudell. John just ex- opened up to me everything about the whole American Indian movement, and in, from his perspective, and he was, uh, you know, in the leadership in some of the early days. And so it, it got corrupted after they burnt the American flag in '77 at the steps of the Indian Affairs in Washington. The American Indian movement got infiltrated by the FBI, the CIA, you name it, you know, mm-hmm. to try and and so it became like a Shakespeare play, which has never really been written because no one trusted anybody after that. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, who's, who's, who's informing, who's the informant within our ranks, you know, mm-hmm. and they all became suspect. And, and in the end, anime took a hit for no particular reason, because I th- think she was pretty sincere. So <laughs> when it comes to meeting Marlon, I couldn't help but ask him that question. Mm-hmm. You know, no one, do you remember her? Do you, do you have any idea? Do you want to talk anything about that? And of course he didn't want to say anything. He didn't want to talk about it. He had a couple other people with him and, and I, I kind of lost him there, you know, mm-hmm. and and he had a hard time with that shoot. He he did, He just wanted to be pink and gay. And the director, Miss Piggy, uh, Frank Oz, wouldn't let him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank was the voice of Miss Piggy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Marlon just punished him for not letting him be what he wanted to be in his last feature of his life, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there was that whole story. And I watched all that. know. Um, but it was fascinating to to work with Marla. I also worked with Robert Mitchum in his last movie, too. So, that
2: I mean, I never had any
1: scenes with him, but I, I got to watch him. And, mm-hmm. and you know, because I, my dad loved Robert Mitchum. Oh, you know, yeah. Back in those, all those war movies. Yeah, and stuff. the war so
0: movies. I just, well, I find it yeah. fascinating when I watch movies, when a group of people that are cast in roles, they come together for a specific time, they create a story, and there's all these creative energies, right, with these, all these different people with different experiences, they're mingling together. What's that like to be a part of that?
1: Uh, for the most part, it's 90% beautiful. Uh, you know, it can turn, depending on the personalities of the people. And- mm mm-hmm. amount of commitment you have with each other if something doesn't gel Mm -hmm. uh, there can be issues but um, for the most part it's a very creative wonderful thing um uh, you know sometimes people take you know for whatever reason have their issues around things and you know as actors you got to use what's going on within you at the time you know it's Sometimes, you you, you know, you, whatever happened at home that morning, it, it's going to hold with you as you go into work that day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's what I always thought that for me, isolation from everything is best yeah. to get the best work out of me. Though sometimes those things that you're dealing with on day to day and you take that in as the actor, you got to know how to use whatever's going on with you that day. And, and everybody's kind of doing that. And, and we all know as actors, professional actors, you know, everyone's depending on the script. We all know where our participation is and understanding the story and trying to understand what the writer is trying to communicate. And we're not always sure. So we count on the director to know that vision if the writer's not there, but in some of my most successful films, the writer's been there for me to talk to them and pull from them, you know, notions that help me execute their storyline. Um, mm-hmm. So the, sometimes the more uh, creative the effort is, uh, the more exciting it is in that way. And mm-hmm. they pull a bunch of people that don't even know each other together and and we're all there for the same reason—to bring the story to life. Now, a lot of actors don't work like that. It's kind of all about them; is they're <laughs> ego-driven mm-hmm. rather than story-driven. Where good actors don't aren't like that. Good actors know that their job is to bring the story to life. It's not about them necessarily. Mm-hmm. Or wherever they are in their career that's that's not the point the point is the vision of the story and and the story always comes first and that's a hard lesson for a lot of young actors they don't uh, it's it's changing a bit right it's uh, the whole system because it's so fast and dirty now I mean you you're making eight hours of TV in two months three months and and stepping away and going off to do something else. So, you know, a lot of those old strategies aren't holding up much, and everyone's trying to find a new way to tell a story. Like, I was just talking to this producer who happens to be Emma Stone's uh, husband, David, who's in charge of this particular production I worked on yesterday, and, and, you know, these guys are all very, you know, he did 200 short films for Saturday Night Live. You know, a very talented guy, right? I'm I I don't I'm not a fan of, from the old days, maybe, but I don't watch a lot of Saturday Night Live, so I haven't seen a lot of his work, but I was just impressed. This guy's been making short films for Saturday Night Live for five years, so he's got something going on, you know, in terms of his vision. Mm-hmm. And he married mm-hmm. Emma, and she's just a wonderful actor and open-minded person. So they're a great team together, so just talking to him and, and, and you know, I, I, ha- I often like I do, and, and Eric can verify this, if things aren't going well, I, I, I'm, I'm not the easiest guy to work with, right? <laughs> like I fuck up, right? Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not the quiet type to go down, you know, quietly. I, I, I fight, I, I, not physically, but I, I speak up. I, I, I'm not the normal Indian,
2: <laughs> I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I don't have an issue ex- expressing myself sometimes. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's to my, you know, not to my good, but mm-hmm. for the most part, when I do that, I force because I'm, you know, not happy the way things are going. I force situations and I, I did that yesterday. And I, I, you know, I don't always feel good about that, but the whole production kind of shifted, it seemed for me. Mm -hmm. And, and, and all the creatives really appreciated my standing up uh, because you know, a lot of times the creators have this vision and they come to a state like New Mexico with a crew that may not be that experienced,
2: mm-hmm. you know, as the
1: Vancouver crews, right? Because in Vancouver, they got 85 shows going at once. There's so much talent there for production. You come to New Mexico and you're on Upstart Series and you're going to end up with a young crew that might not be up the snuff, right? Mm-hmm. And there might be big eagles there, and there might be all this stuff in the way that stops them from being able to tell the story they want to tell. Mm-hmm. So it's you know I, uh, it's awfully stressful <laughs> in, the, in the end.
0: Yeah. yeah, it
1: can be, you know. And I, I and as I get older, I realize I can't deal with that stress too well. My body, mm-hmm. you know, just mm-hmm. it just rocks right you know I, I so dealing with stress in my older age and and still trying to execute as the actor is, is becoming a little bit more challenging but then you go to an environment like reservation dogs which is and i got to tell you this story cuz i just shot the new episodes of this summer mm-hmm. or this spring <laughs> and i uh, <laughs> i you know i just love that the way the whole unveiling of that and how we work with uh sterling and he's so focused on us and our story and our characters and it's just a lovely set creatively to be on you know Mm -hmm. and they got some of the same issues with the crew not that experienced you know Mm -hmm. low budget you know we got to shoot it fast and we got to shoot it dirty and and we don't have a lot of time and um but I'll never forget. I I had a break between the first episode I was involved in and the second episode I was involved in. So I came home to the res Mm -hmm. and um, everybody like my nieces and nephews and family members saying, have you filled out your papers? (laughs) I said, what, what papers? They said, well, you you get your papers, you get the money, you know, and if you've been abused then you get more money, you know, you got to get your papers in, you know, and I, I, I said, well, I don't know, you know, I don't know, you know, I didn't know anything about the residential school payout, you know, I yeah. I, I just didn't. And I, I just didn't go get the papers. You know, I didn't, I, I was just thinking I was kind of challenged by it. I didn't know. And, and um, so I, I drove home from Oklahoma. Now, if you go home, uh, if you go back to Oklahoma from home, That whole territory from us to Oklahoma, of course, the Haudenosaunee, we're all there, right? I mean, there's Seneca's and Cayuga's in Northeast Oklahoma, right? Mm -hmm. And I I had to do this speech for Columbus State. And I said, okay, for Cincinnati, Ohio. And I thought, Cincinnati, Ohio? And I said, there must be Indians there, you know? And I started doing research and I found this community 20 miles northwest from Cincinnati, fourteen thousand year old community there, like a mound, some of the oldest established community in North America, right there, twenty miles from Cincinnati. I do more research. I find out, oh, it's the Tudelos, the Wyandots, the Delawares, the Seneca. It's 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 like our people, mm-hmm. and they did the research. The anthropologists and archaeologists uh, that I got in touch who did this research 20 15 years ago and nothing's been done with it i i actually reached out to him and he wrote back in 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 seneca <laughs> the archaeologist actually knew the language and he had the typing to do it right mm-hmm. i don't even have that i can't write in Cayuga on the typewriter but he could and he related, he also did the research that those people from 14,000 years ago were the same people that were there 300 years ago. So that's us. right? Mm-hmm. That's our people right there, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so that prior to contact, we had control of that whole Mississippi Valley all the way down to Oklahoma. And when you drive back through that, when I was coming home, I saw Onondaga this, Seneca that, Mohawk that, Oneida this.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you just see it all the way back down to Oklahoma, where we're shooting this amazing series. Yeah. And I, I had this build with this. I didn't do the papers. You know, the residential school payback. And <laughs> well, and, you still
0: got and, time, <laughs> Gary. <laughs>
1: and and uh, yes, I know. I got the papers. Uh, <laughs> I go into the thing, and it's it's kind of like the joke was all around that. Yeah. Was, was all around that issue. So, you know, I, 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 I don't know, I can't give away much, but, you know, I say to the young 15-year-old, you know, because there's a funeral we're at, and I say, are you snagging yet? And the boy says, well, I'm only 15, Uncle. So, well, I well, I was a late bloomer too, I say. <laughs> and then Big, who plays the cop, says, oh, I started young. 12! Uh, church camp, uh, I forget the other line, but, you know, and then that was kind of the end of the scene. There was one of a little rebuttal by another character that just said, Oh, that's weird. And, <laughs> and the scene wasn't really working, you know, it wasn't kind of, we must've did it four or five times. And I was sitting with the kids say, Hey, you, this thing's not kind of happening yet. You guys got a line or something? You didn't think coming, and and the, a couple of the writers were in the uh, scene too as extras, and I, I thought maybe they might pipe up a line at the end because the scene didn't seem to have an end, you know, mm. and I and I let it go of three or four takes, and on the fifth take I just felt the pressure from the director to to you know Gary you got to do something, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and all of a sudden it came, and I just said. You know, those kids that got buggered, they got their money. And of course, this is Uncle Brownie, right? So yeah. I'm right there. And I said, I'm going to, and when I said that, I could see the whole crew just buckle over, like all the actors I was in the scene with, they all just buckled over like they all had appendicitis at once. And I, they <laughs> were all laughing, right? They just laughed at that line. And I think it was the word buggered. Mm-hmm really got them and then I said I'm gonna get mine and and they just all roared with laughter again you know and it was such a special moment but it all came from that process of of doing that work there and working with our own and then going all the way home and then getting all that information from home and processing as I go back, it's a two-day journey, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then when you get to the, I didn't have anything to give that scene to make it better. And then it just came magically out in that improvisation that seemed so perfect for the scene.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and 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 when that magic can happen, even though if it's used or not, the fact that it it just allowed me as the actors to connect my last two weeks of life. Mm-hmm. And in one moment that mm-hmm. was like five seconds, mm-hmm. it paid off. Yeah. And, and to me, that's what acting about. It's about living. And then you take the living into the world of performance.
2: Right?
1: Yeah. It, yeah. It's, well, it's I, real, watched, I watched real,
0: the whole series and it was absolutely, it was so funny. And I could relate. And it's it's just uh, something to see our experiences on the screen, you know, our stories.
1: Yeah. No, I've waited, you know, 70 years for this to happen in a way. Yeah. You sure. know, it, it, I haven't, but I, it's so exciting to see that. And there's, it's, it's just blossomed in so many other directions, you know. Yeah. You know?
0: Well, I saw you in Run, Woman, Run, and you were playing some tunes at the Veterans Hall. How fun was that?
1: <laughs> it was totally a mistake. I, I had no plan to participate. I had known, you know, Derek and I have been uh, collaborating for a number of years, both musically and in other regions, too, you know, in terms of these TV shows and efforts and my involvement. Mm -hmm. And we're really close. We we write songs together and stuff. And um, I'm just about to publish six songs we we wrote together. Um, So we have an interesting collaboration for years, uh, since he was young. And I've always involved him in anything I've ever done. Um, And he's always generally involved me as well. So that that's a special relationship that I, we keep nurturing, and and music comes from it, and we perform together and tour together. So, mm-hmm. and um, so um, I don't know where I was leading that. I forgot what I started with. Um,
0: oh, playing in Veterans Hall. That, what was that experience like?
1: Oh yeah. So Derek says, oh, you know, I got to do this film, you know, and and of course his you know partner is producing it, and one of many producers on it, and. Gary, come on over. Yeah, I'm like, my mom's, you know, my, mom, she, you know, my you know. I said, well. Okay. He said, yeah, bring your harps. I said, okay. <laughs> so I'm sitting in the truck and we're sitting out there and all of a sudden, uh, it was so sweet that, uh, Carla come over. She was like, so yeah, we're, we're kind of like extras, even though, you know, we had lines. So they bumped us up to be actors and, and I hadn't worked in Canada for a while. So, um, Uh, So that was kind of interesting that that all the production was right at home. Yeah. My mom's now that, you know, that building special to me because my father gave that. uh, That was, you know, the land we had purchased when we, you know, when we came home. Mm -hmm. And and so he just gave that to the veterans. So that hall has real special significance for me, you know. Yeah. And so, to go over there and just sit in the parking lot and rehearse with Derek, and we're just going, well, we don't even know what we're doing. <laughs> we didn't even get the script, you know. We just, and then we went in there and just played, you know, <laughs> and just had fun. And, yeah. And I couldn't get over the impact of that film. I was just so proud of her. Oh, that yeah. She made mm-hmm. such a good film, totally on our res, yeah. totally with most of our own You know, I was just so proud of her. She's such a dynamic talent and she started from the ground up as a young, you know, filmmaker mm-hmm. making short films and yeah. and the yeah. impact her father has had. I mean, yeah. Brian is special to me. I mean I remember Brian when we were young. I mean he used to be a journalist for yeah. he was the yeah. last one, the post our native land for C B C. He used to write yeah. for the Global Mail. He was a top notch journalist and he just turned it all back and went home. Yeah. And, you know, foster our Mohawk language, that's, yeah. that's commitment.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Um, what else did I want?
1: At- the good, good actor, right? You Pardon? need that kind of commitment. It, it's, it's that kind of commitment. You need to be a good actor.
0: Oh yeah. like sure.
1: Language. Yeah. That's, that's the same line. That's the same path to being a good actor. Is that because you have to commit to the whole process, right? And it's not often easy.
0: No. Um, you mentioned before that you you said, oh, I, I should put that in the book. Are you writing a book?
1: Yeah, I got to write the book because there's too many great stories to <laughs> tell. Uh... Yeah. Uh, Just my my whole life and experience and the politics of my life and the struggle to try and do things a good way. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's worthy. uh, And I I think we need more personal histories of our people Mm -hmm. so that the Mm -hmm. young can see all the effort that went into trying to make a difference, you know,
0: Mm,
1: trying to make change. Yeah.
0: Well, um, what what's coming up for you next? I know you said you worked yesterday. What Anything coming up in the future?
1: Yeah, I'll be in uh, the National Arts Center on July 23rd. Uh, we're doing a Uh It's a Cree word for love. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a Thompson Highway operatic, but also pulling pieces from some of the Stage productions we did over the years, and um, I'm a part of that and an ensemble of opera singers and people like Sherry Mariko and uh, mm-hmm. other great actors. Community, yeah, we'll be at the National Arts Center on the one night only, July 23rd. Um, uh, prior to that, uh, I'm uh, still working on this series called The Curse. Uh, mm-hmm. With I got another couple days on it. Uh, for another episode. And, um, uh, I'm, uh, busy. I'm going to do a play, uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, it's a brand new piece called desert stories for lost girls. It's this beautiful three generational, uh, uh, kind of new Mexican story of, uh, you know, going through that whole colonial period of conquistadors and such, uh, and, and the struggle that native people and, um, uh, um, people had during that period, but it, it's a very poetic piece, and it's uh, you know I've never worked in Los Angeles on the stage, so we're at the Los Angeles Theater Center. I think we open September 30th, and it only runs to October 17th, and then uh, I should have some time off. I'm I'm doing a few other little special things, and then hopefully. Back to Resident Alien uh, for the third season in January, uh, which I just love that show. Um, and working on it is just perfection for me. It's just so much joy. It gives me I have so much fun with that. So that that's kind of <laughs> that takes me into next you know next summer. So I'm yeah. I'm good. <laughs> I, I have to get some time off. To, uh, get to a beach this fall or this winter. A little bit, but uh, that's the plan. It's all scoped out. I've never, uh,
0: mm-hmm. I really
1: appreciate having that long term commitment.
0: Well, that's really good. Any time to come home in there, anywhere? Yeah,
1: I'll be home uh, um, in July a little bit before I go work in Ottawa. Um, mm-hmm. And I just finished. I just got back from home a couple of days ago. I was there for a week for national Aboriginal day or whatever they call it now, nationals. Oh yeah. Indigenous people. Yeah. Day, uh, hosted the stage at the Dundas square and then played with Derek uh, in the evening over at, uh, you know, the beaches mm-hmm. for a concert. It was great. It was great. And great to see, you know, Logan perform. I mean, he just keeps getting stronger. It was great to see uh, Jace oh, yeah. perform. I, mean, mm-hmm. I, I never really experienced Tom Wilson before. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, a lot of our traditional performers from both Anishinaabe and Putnashini were there. Mm-hmm. So that was, it, was, it was just a great day. To see everybody, everybody in Toronto. I haven't really hung in. I mean, I started in Toronto for years. Used to drive a cab there. Wow. <laughs> and work at the Silver Dollar Hotel <laughs> in the '70s.
0: You were one of the first yeah. Uber drivers.
1: <laughs> yeah, I um, yeah, was a yellow cab. I was a yellow cab. I drove all the Indians all over Toronto in my day Just to see wow. them in the street, and pick them up, you know, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: get them home, you know. Oh my gosh! Well.
0: Yeah. Um, I was just at your sister's um, I think it was her 45th Anniversary Dance show And yes. um, my Granddaughter was in it Because she's in your nephew's hip hop Class <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes, of course.
0: yes Yeah yes. it was Great it was great to see the Little kids still dancing
1: No that's my most Favorite performance uh, You know you know, we used to produce those shows. Uh, I used to hustle Graham because he always did sound, right? And yeah. i you knew all the lighting designers, of course, from my day. And we'd produce Michelle's show, but I haven't been able to do it for years. And I know they've been struck by COVID, you know, the effort, and they had to reduce the show a bit this year. But I'm so happy they were able to pull it off again. Oh,
0: yeah, for sure. It was a great show. Well, anything else you'd like to add to the listeners of our podcast?
1: You know, I can't think of a thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you uh, for the interview time, and uh, my best to everyone at home. I'll see y'all soon, and uh, and uh, keep looking forward.
0: Okay, we. Uh, this has been such an enjoyable conversation with you, Gary. Like I haven't talked to you in years, but you know, it just pick up where you left off. It's been really great. Okay, so, um, well, maybe I'll see you next time you're home in the village somewhere.
1: Okay, yeah, I'm (laughs) always walking around, trying to get my exercise.
0: Okay, okay, (laughs) Onigiwahi. Yahweh, thank you for listening to this episode of the Yohate Negasuna, The Road to Your Name podcast, which has been produced by Aboriginal Legal Services and hosted by me, Lisa Venevery. There are 10 episodes in this podcast series. Let's meet again on the next episode. This has been the Yohate Negasuna, the Road to Your Name podcast series. If you would like to learn more about our organization, Aboriginal Legal Services, and the programs and services we provide, please visit us at our website, www.aboriginallegal.ca. And if you feel inclined and would like to make a donation, you can click on the word "Donate," located at the top of the homepage of our newly updated website. You can also visit us on Facebook at Aboriginal Legal Services Toronto, Canada. This has been the Yohat Day Negasuna the Road to Your Name podcast series.
3: Yo-ha-hi-yo. 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 Yo-ha-hi-yo.